Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. This is Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to the following message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, go to northwoodbaptist.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. I hope the following message blesses you and helps you connect faith to life. All right, let me invite you, if you have brought your copy of the Bible with you, or if you're watching us via live stream, to go ahead and grab your Bible and join me in 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. If you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, go to the middle of the Bible and find the book of Psalms, and then go back a few books, and you'll find yourself in 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19 is where we're going to spend our time together this morning, and we're going to read in just a moment the the first uh, eight or nine verses. So 1 Kings chapter 19. And so as you're finding that passage in your Bible, let me ask you a question. Uh, Are you feeling a bit discouraged? Have you been discouraged this week? I hate to admit this, and, and, and I know that you're going to think poorly of me as, as I tell you this. And I mean, it's just one of those things, though, I've, I've got to be transparent about, and I, and I need to get this out uh, for you. Um, and so please don't judge me based on this. But tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow will mark two weeks, two weeks since I've eaten at Chick-fil-A. And, and man, I'm pretty discouraged about that. I've tried. I've ridden by the parking lot several times at Chick-fil-A, and I've seen just the massive amounts of people. And every time I see the massive amounts of people in the drive-thru, it just discourages me. I don't want to wait. I know they serve quickly. I know they can probably get me through quickly, but it just seems so overwhelming to see all those cars at Chick-fil-A. And so I haven't had God's chicken in about two weeks now, and and that for me has been pretty discouraging. And, And maybe for you, there have been some other things, right, more serious things that have been discouraging for you over the last couple weeks. Just think about it. Our plans, they've changed drastically. Our schools, we don't know if we'll go back to school this semester, but think about other things. There there have been people who've had big events planned, weddings planned. They've had to postpone or cancel. There are expectant mothers who are ready to, to give birth to babies and as they're getting ready to go to the hospital, it's quite certain that their family members won't be able to be there in those moments when that child is born because they're not allowed to be in the hospitals. You can think of other things this week that are discouraging. We wake up every morning, and, and every morning we're hoping for some different news, right? That, that just overnight, that maybe this virus has dissipated and it's gone, but every morning we wake up and it's the same thing. The virus is still present. It's still affecting our country. It's still affecting our community. And not only is it still present, but it seems as if, well, it is every day. It's growing. More people are being affected. We wake up to see the just astronomical numbers and and then the number of people across our nation and our world who've died as a result of this virus. It's discouraging. And so if you feel discouraged this morning, You're not alone. We all feel discouraged right now. But in the midst of our discouragement, I just want to remind you this morning that there is hope. And I want you to look this morning with me at a story, a story of a man, a great man of God, 
a man that you're probably aware of. His name was Elijah. He was discouraged, very discouraged. And in this story we're going to look at this morning, we're going to see how God responds to Elijah's discouragement. And I know this morning, if, if you'll just come on in and listen to, to God's word with me this morning, I know this is going to be helpful for you. Because over the past week, as I've reflected on these verses, it's been helpful for me in my own discouragement. And so I, I want to show you just some lessons we're going to learn from this passage this morning. I, I want to show you, uh, first of all, I want to show you why we get discouraged, right? And then I want to show you how God responds to our discouragement. And finally, I want to show you this morning how we can begin to overcome discouragement. So let's go ahead and look at the Bible together. We're in 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to read for you uh, the first eight or nine verses. And, and our tradition here at Northwood is to rise to your feet in honor of the ring of God's word. But we can't really do that on campus this morning because we're in our cars and you'll hit your head, right? So if you're on campus this morning and you have your Bible open and you're ready to read along with me, do this. Right now, turn on your headlights. I know you're with me. Go ahead and turn your headlights on. Keep them on. And after we read the scripture together, you can turn your headlights back off, right? So 1 Kings chapter 19, I'm seeing headlights come on. Here we go. 1 Kings 19, beginning in verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for time to worship together this morning. I know it's in a unique way, but Father, I'm so thankful that whether it's here on campus or virtually, that we can gather as one body, united in one Lord, Jesus Christ, for one purpose and one mission. So I thank you for that. I thank you that physical barriers and, and illnesses do not prevent us from worshiping this morning. And I thank you that right now, your spirit desires to speak to your children. And so help us now to listen carefully to what you are saying to us. Help us to be encouraged by your word this morning, I ask. Help us to respond to your word this morning in faith and in obedience, I ask. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Elijah is a great and mighty prophet of God. And Elijah ministers in the days of King Ahab. And, and if you've been around the church before, maybe you remember back as a child to Sunday school, you probably remember a little bit about Ahab. What the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 33, is that Ahab did more to provoke the Lord to anger than any king that came before him. You might remember that he married a woman who was not an Israelite, who was a foreign woman by the name of Jezebel. And, and Jezebel and Ahab, they really wreaked havoc on the nation of Israel. Uh, they brought Baal worship into the land. 
And during the, the time of Ahab, the people's hearts were turned to this false god. They didn't worship the true god, the god of Israel, Yahweh. They worshiped this false god, Baal. And God, the god that, that, that was the true god, the one god, the only god, he had had enough. And so he raised up a prophet named Elijah. And, and, and God told Elijah, go and tell the king. It's not going to rain again until I say it is. And so Elijah went, and Elijah told the king it wasn't going to rain again until God said it would. And so the whole land begins to suffer because of Ahab and, and Jezebel. But in the midst of that suffering, God provides for his prophet. You might remember the story that, that God puts Elijah by a, a running brook. And, and he has water to drink, even in that time of drought and famine. And uh, crows come and feed him in the morning and in the evening. Eventually, the brook dries up, and, and God sends Elijah to the home of a widow. The widow doesn't have much. She has a, a, a child, and, and she doesn't really have much to eat. But God works miracles through Elijah. And that, that widow and Elijah and her son, they're, they're able to eat for days. But then the widow's son dies. But you probably know the story that God uses Elijah to raise that child back to life. And so, so what Elijah saw in the midst of the drought, in the midst of the famine, he saw God faithfully providing for him. And then God said to Elijah, it's going to rain. Go tell the king it's about to happen. It's going to rain. Now, you might remember the story. And so, so Elijah, he goes to see Ahab. But, but, but before it rains, there's a showdown. There's a showdown between Baal and the God of all creation. And you probably remember the story of the, the prophets that were there. And they erect an altar to Baal. And then Elijah erects an altar to his God. And you remember the story about how the, the prophets are crying down for Baal to consume the altar. And Baal does not consume the altar with fire. They spend all day crying out to their false god, but their false god does nothing because after all, he was a false god. And then Elijah prays, and in an instant, God comes down. He consumes Elijah's altar with fire. And in that moment, right, it, it was a huge victory, a huge victory for, for Elijah, a huge victory for the God of all creation. And what you would expect at that point you would expect a national revival, that the people of Israel would turn back to God. But it doesn't happen. And what happens is Jezebel is infuriated. And she makes a promise. She says, by this time tomorrow, Elijah will be dead. And in that moment, Elijah runs. He runs in fear, and we pick up there with the story that we read just a moment ago. You read down, and it says that in verse 3 that he was afraid, and he ran for his life. You come to verse 4, he went a day's journey into the wilderness and sat under a broom tree, and there under a broom tree he said, It is enough now. O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. In that moment, Elijah wanted to die. He was done, ready to give up. After all, he had served God faithfully. He had, he had done those things that God had told him to do. And, and now all of a sudden, his life was in jeopardy by the hands of, of Jezebel. He was done. He had given up. He was discouraged. 
And we stop right here because I think right here we begin to understand what causes discouragement. Now I want you to see from this story, I want you to know what causes discouragement in your life and in my life. One, you know what causes it? God doesn't do what we want him to do, right? Let's just be honest. That's why you and I get discouraged because we have plans. We have dreams. We have hopes. We have ambitions. We have all these things that we want God to do in our lives. And over the course of our lives, we see God do some amazing things. We see God do some of the things we even want him to do in our lives. But then all of a sudden, we don't see it. We don't see God doing in our lives what we thought he would do what we want him to do. And that was Elijah. God wasn't doing in his life what he wanted him to do. God, Elijah wanted God to send a a national revival. He wanted to see people turn back to God. He wanted to see Ahab and Jezebel off the throne, but it didn't happen. And right now, you know why I'm discouraged? I'm discouraged for the same reason you're discouraged, because God's not doing what we want him to do. We want this virus gone. We want it eradicated now, and it's not. Every day is the same. Every day it's more bad news. God is not doing what we want him to do right now, and so we're discouraged. And maybe it's not the virus. Maybe it's something else, something you've been hoping for and planning for, and it's not coming to fruition. God is not doing what you want him to do, and you're discouraged. And you know what happens when God doesn't do what we want him to do? When, when, when God doesn't come through for us in the way that we think that he should, you know what we do? We quit listening to him. We quit listening to God. Let, let me show you something. This is really interesting in the text. If you go back and you look in the previous chapters, you come down and, and you see, for example, you see, for example, in chapter 17, verse 8. Or let me start back up. Chapter 17, verse 2. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself and by the brook of Cherith. And then you come down to verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And you come to verse 18. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. On three different occasions in the previous chapters, we read that phrase, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Elijah waited. God spoke to him. And after God spoke to him, Elijah went. Elijah waited. God spoke. Elijah went. But we didn't see that in chapter 19. In chapter 19, we don't see Elijah waiting to hear God's voice. We see Elijah instead just responding to his situation. He learns that Jezebel wants to kill him, and he starts running. He doesn't wait for God. He doesn't wait to hear for God's voice. He just goes. And that's what happens. When God doesn't do what we want him to do, we stop listening. We stop waiting for his voice. We stop getting in his word to hear from him. We stop praying. That's what happens when you're discouraged. God's not doing what you want him to do, so you stop. And and I wonder over the last couple weeks what's happened in your prayer life. If this incident that we've seen all across the world if it's caused you to be discouraged to the point that you've stopped praying, that you've stopped listening, that you've stopped seeking after God. You see, when God doesn't do what we want him to do, we stop listening. But not only do we stop listening, you know what else we do? We quit believing God. Look at what it says again in the text. You come down to verse 3 in chapter 19, and notice this. 
that Elijah was afraid. Afraid? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, after all, this is the same man that, that just days before had stood before hundreds of prophets of Baal and had boldly called down fire from heaven. I mean, throughout Elijah's story, he seems anything but fearful. But in these moments, he's fearful. He stopped believing that the God who brought down fire on Mount Carmel, he stopped believing that God could do anything in this situation. He ran, fearful, stopped listening to God, and stopped believing that God was greater than his circumstances. That's how we get discouraged, isn't it? We get discouraged when God doesn't do what we want him to do. And so he de- when he doesn't do what we want him to do, we stop listening and we stop believing. We stop believing that God is greater than the problems that we're facing or the circumstances that we find ourselves in. That's how we get discouraged. But there's good news because if you are discouraged, while we might have given up on God in our discouragement, while we might stop praying and listening to his voice, while we might stop believing, the good news is God doesn't stop ministering to us. Know what causes discouragement, but also know that God ministers to you. He ministers to me in the midst of our discouragement. It, it, it's so amazing, isn't it, what you read in the passage. You, you see that he's there, and, and he, he says to God, God, take away my life, right? But you come down and read what else he says. He laid down. And slept under a broom tree, verse 5. And behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. He looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake, baked on hot stones, a jar of water. And so look at what it says. Come down to verse 7. He second time touched him, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days. God gave him some bread. He gave him some water. And he went in the strength of that food for 40 days. You know what kind of bread it was, don't you? It was wonder bread. I don't hear anybody laughing because I can't hear you, but that, thank you. Thank you very much. There we go. Got some honks, right? Yeah, thank you very much. But, 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 but listen to it. There he was in the midst of his discouragement. You know what God does? God gives him rest. And aren't you thankful for scriptures like Matthew chapter 11? Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You need to understand this, because right now in your discouragement, God is present, and he is ready to minister to you. And right now, right now, he is ready to give you rest. That, That offer is always on the table. That invitation is always there. That any moment you can turn to God, you can cry out, you can pray, and God will give you rest. And that's exactly what God does for Elijah in this moment. He gives Elijah rest. He he ministers to him. He gives him food, and he gives him drink, and and Elijah rests. But after Elijah rests, he gets up, and he makes a journey. Look at what the Bible says. You come to to verse 9. There he came to a cave or actually, let me start in verse 8. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, to Horeb, the Mount of God. Now, I don't know what Bible translation you're looking at this morning, but Mount Horeb, you, you know what that is, right? That's Mount Sinai. And you know what happened on Mount Sinai, don't you? On Mount Sinai, that's where God showed up 
and met with Moses and the Hebrew people in the wilderness. It's where, where God gave the people the commands, the law. It's where God revealed his presence in Exodus chapter 19. Now, Elijah goes to that same mountain. And I can imagine what Elijah was thinking when he went to that mountain. I'm going to get some answers. I'm going to the mountain of God. I'm going there, and I'm going to get some answers from God. God is going to let me know what's going on. I'm going to get some answers. And there he is. And look at what the text says. He comes to Mount Sinai, and God says to him, What are you doing here? Verse 10. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword, and I'm the only one left. They seek my life. God, don't you know what I'm going through? Give me some answers. And so God told Elijah to go out and stand there in the mountain, and God was going to pass by. Now, if you're a good Bible student, you might remember that this has happened before. There was a time in Moses' ministry when he was on this very same mountain, that he asked to see God's glory. And God said, wait in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to pass by. And so here we have it again. God is about to pass by. He's not passing by Moses this time. He, he's passing by Elijah. And, and look at what it says. You, you read there in, in, in the latter part of verse 11. Behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Now, you need to stop right there. And you do need to remember back to Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus chapter 19, when God came to Mount Sinai, and when he revealed his presence to the people there at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, this is how God came. He came in a great wind. He came in an earthquake. He came in a fire. Go back and read Exodus 19, and you'll see that language in Exodus 19 when God reveals himself to the Hebrew people on Mount Sinai. And so now, here we are again. Mount Sinai, wind, fire, earthquake. But something's different. These were predictable ways, right, that God showed up. This is what Elijah expected. He expected wind. He expected fire. He expected an earthquake. He expected these miraculous revelations of God. But the text tells us God wasn't in those. Look what it says. Look at what it says. You come down and you read the next verse. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? God wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the winds. He wasn't in the earthquake. He was in that low, small whisper. And if you think about it, I think what God was communicating to Elijah in those moments is that your understanding of me is so limited. I work in ways that are beyond your comprehension, Elijah. I know you're discouraged. I, I, I know life seems like it's a wreck for you right now, but it does not mean that I'm not working. And I work in ways that are unexpected to you. I can even work in the 
still, small voice. And you've experienced that in your life, haven't you? Those unexpected ways in which God works. And when you experience God working in those unexpected ways, it's always a reminder that our perspective of God is very limited. Now, some of you know this. Some of you don't know this. We have a, a, a dog. We have a, a Cavapoo. So a Cavapoo is a mix between a King Charles Cavalier Spaniel and a Poodle. What that means is we have a very hairy dog. And so, so every you know, month, month and a half, we, we take the dog to the groomers, and I pay $50, $60 to have the dog groomed. And, and sometimes we forget to take the dog to the groomer, and it gets longer hair, and it, the hair gets all matted. And honestly, I'm tired of paying $50, $60 to go to the groomer every six or seven weeks, right? And so I began asking Stacy a few weeks ago, can I cut his hair? Can I do it, right? I, I mean, I can watch some YouTube videos, which I did. I've got a buddy who trims his dogs. So I called and got some advice from him. I said, I can do this, right? I mean, you just shave it. How hard can it be? I mean, I shave my face, you know? I mean, I can, I can trim on my beard. Certainly, I can take care of a dog. Certainly, if I can shave up my face and make it look pretty good, right, I can, I can do the same for a dog. And so, so after a long discussion with my wife and assuring her that I could do it, now watch this, she let me which was a miracle in and of itself that she would actually agree for me to go and buy the shears. And so I went down to Pet Supplies last week, and my buddy who does his own dog, he said, now get some good ones, right? Buy the expensive ones because you're going to need the expensive ones. So I did. I paid $100 for dog shears, $100. But I figured, right, well worth the investment because I can go clip my dog every couple of weeks and never have to pay a groomer again. So I got the clippers, turned them on, and I went to work. Went to work shaving my dog. You know what I found out? I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I spent, I promise you, several hours trying to make my dog look right. And if you were to go to house, my house today and you were to see my dog, you would cry when you saw my dog. My dog looks like a three-year-old cut his hair. And so now tomorrow or, or Tuesday, I'm going to have to get on a phone, and I'm going to have to call a groomer, and I'm going to have to say to a groomer, right, I messed up my dog. Please don't judge me. Please don't hold it against me, but I need your help. Will you help me fix my dog back up, right? What I learned this past week is I don't have a clue about grooming a dog. And what I also learned, right, after years of being a pastor, going to seminary, earning advanced degrees in theological studies. I really don't have a clue about God either. I mean, I know I have his word and his spirit dwells in me, and so I know that God speaks to me. But still, you, you know this, I am finite. I am so limited in my understanding of the power and the magnitude of the God of all creation. Sometimes I need to be reminded that my understanding of God is limited, and that's okay. And that's what takes place with Elijah. God gives Elijah rest. He reminds Elijah that his understanding is limited. And then he reveals to Elijah his plan. You read the next few verses, and I'm not going to get into great detail here, but you read the next few verses, and essentially God says to Elijah, it's going to be okay. It's going to take a while. I'm going to work in a way that, 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 that you know, you, you might object to. You might wish I would work faster. But I'm going to bring Ahab down. And I'm going to bring the prophets of Baal down. Just hang on, Elijah. I've got a plan. Get back to work. Go anoint Elisha and go anoint another king. Or Elisha will anoint another king. It's going to be okay. God revealed his plan. And I know this, and you know this too. Through this pandemic that we're facing, God's going to reveal his plan to us. He's going to show us ways he's working in the midst of this. I know we're going to see people come to faith in Christ. 
I, I, I just imagine that when this is over and, and we're able to meet again on our campus, and we're going to rejoice, and we're, I, I know what I'm learning right now through this. God is already revealing his plan in my life. I mean, I'm learning not to take the church for granted, right? And so God, even through this, he's going to show us glimpses of what he's doing in all this. You see, he ministers to us. He gives us rest. He reveals his plan. He reminds us of our limited perspective that he is God. But then now watch this. He showers us with grace. Oh, this is so good. You need to come in real close to your TV and get this, right? Or if you're in your, your car, just come on, pull up another five feet because I want you to make sure you understand this, right? So, so don't really do that. That'd be bad. But, 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 but listen, listen to what's going on here in the text. Wind, fire, earthquake. Do you know what those are all reminders of? Judgment. Go back to Exodus 19. The wind and the fire and the earthquake on Mount Sinai were all an indicator to the people that God was present, but also a reminder if they got close and they touched the mountain, they would die. Judgment, fire, wind, earthquake, judgment. In these moments when Elijah is discouraged, God doesn't give him judgment. He gives him grace. Instead of giving him the wind and giving him the fire and giving him the earthquake, he gives him the still small voice. It's going to be okay, right? He showers him with grace. He showers him with grace. Now watch this. In that present moment, and I bet you over the last couple weeks in the midst of our discouragement, God has showered you with grace in the present moment. You've gotten a phone call from somebody just to encourage you. You got a note in the mail or a text message. I don't know, it was something. In some small way, God spoke to you through somebody else. He gave you some grace just to get through the day. Present grace. But think about this. This is what's so interesting to me. In this moment, Elijah got present grace, the still, small voice of God. But he also got future grace. Let me explain what I mean by that. Centuries later, There was another mountain. Do you remember? A mountain where Jesus took three of his disciples, James, Peter, and John. And on that mountain, now watch this. On that mountain, on one side of him, was a man who had suffered discouragement, Elijah. And on the other side of him was another man who had suffered discouragement, Moses. Do you remember all the times uh, that, that Moses said to God, why did you... Lead me out here to lead these stiff-necked people. Elijah and Moses both experienced their share of discouragement. And I imagine that, that James, Peter, and John, when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration, they had also shared their days of discouragement as well. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus Christ revealed who he was to James, Peter, and John, and to Moses and Elijah as well. Because on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses, Elijah, James, Peter, and John, they saw it with their own eyes, the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Grace, it was future grace for Elijah, if that makes any sense, because back on Mount Horeb, he got a still small voice. But some distant future, when he was on that Mount of Transfiguration, he got the glory, the presence of Jesus Christ, he and Moses there with him. If you think about it, back in in Exodus, when when Moses said, 
God, let me see your glory. He got God's backside, right? And Elijah, he got a still small voice. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, they got the full glory of God and Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, who was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, and Moses, and Elijah, would come down off that mountain. And then would go up another mountain, Mount Calvary. No, Mount Calvary, Jesus Christ, the God of all creation, the one who was fully God, fully man, he would show all of us his glory by dying on the cross for us, taking the penalty for our sin upon himself, suffering the death that we all deserve because of our sin and rebellion against the God of all creation. He would die in our place, opening up a way for us to receive the gift of forgiveness, a right relationship with the God who loves us and created us, salvation, eternity with him. You see, at the cross, we see the glory of God. We see that God loves us. And you know it. Jesus didn't stay dead. Three days later, after he was crucified, he rose from the dead victoriously, proving to us once and for all that he has the power over death, right? Proving to us once and for all that he is God who came to save us from our sins and give us life abundant and eternal to rescue us from ourselves. In Christ, we see the glory of God. Talk about grace. God has showered us with grace. And, and, and in this past week, you've probably seen some evidences of God's grace, haven't you? You've got that encouraging phone call. Uh, you, you got that text message. Someone uh, blessed you. But for all of us, there's future glory. There's future grace, right? Because there's going to come a day that every single one of us who've placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who've turned from our sins and have turned to the living God, there is going to come a day that we stand with Jesus on Mount Zion, that we will be with him forever. You see, I, I know that, that here we are, you're in your living room or you're here on this campus in your car, and we're all feeling discouraged. I get that, and, and rightly so. It's been a discouraging couple of weeks, but God's ministering to us. He's giving us rest. He's reminding us of our limited perspective. He's revealing his plan. And he's showering us with his amazing grace. He's not done with you. He's not done with me. Before we end our time together, let me just briefly share with you how we overcome discouragement. We overcome discouragement by one, repenting of our discouragement, right? By coming back to God and saying, okay, God, things have not worked out the way that I thought they would. And so therefore, I've quit listening to you, and I've quit believing you. I'm stopping that now. Because I know that you're ministering to me, and I know that you have grace for me. I know that you want me to rest. I'm turning back to you. And maybe this morning in your discouragement, that's what you need to do, to turn back to God. And trust that he wants to minister to you this morning. And I want to invite you this morning to, to rest in Jesus, right? That's how you overcome discouragement, by, by resting in Jesus, right? Knowing that right now he is available to you, that you can go to him. You can pray. You can study the word, and, and you, can, you can rest. You overcome discouragement by stopping 
when you stop believing the lies. And, and I bet you over the last couple of weeks, you've believed a lot of lies that it's not going to get better, right? The enemy has come against you. Life is terrible. You've probably believed all kinds of lies. Stop it because there's truth. Your best days are yet to come. And, and even if the worst were to happen, something were to actually physically take your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have eternity with him. Your best is always yet to come. Stop believing the lies and get back to work. I mean, that's what God told Elijah. Go anoint Elisha. Get back to work. Do the work I have for you. I know for us, because we're not able to be out and about right now, because we're, we're stuck in our homes or working remotely or social distancing or whatever the case may be, it's hard to do the work of the ministry right now. But you and I know this, that, that just because it's hard, that doesn't excuse us from being about God's work. And so get back to work. Whatever that looks like for you, where you are right now, get back to work. Call people and encourage them in the Lord, right? Share the gospel with family members over the phone. Whatever it looks like for you, get back to work. Serve him through your local church, whatever opportunities your local church is offering right now. Get back to work. Man, if you'll rest in Christ, if you'll stop believing the lies, if you'll repent, if you'll get back to work, you'll see that cloud of discouragement lifting. And this morning, this morning if you're listening, I know the answer to your discouragement. It's Jesus. And maybe this morning as you're listening to this message or you're here on campus in your car, you've never placed your life in the hands of Jesus. This morning we want to give you an invitation to become a follower of Jesus, to believe that 2,000 years ago, because Jesus loves you, he did something for you. 2,000 years ago, he died for you because the Bible tells us that we're all sinners. We've all rebelled against God. We've all been an enemy of God. But that didn't stop God from loving us. He sent his son Jesus to die in your place, to take the punishment that you deserve, and then to rise again three days later so that all of your sins could be forgiven and you could be given the gift of life abundant and eternal. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, we want you to do that today. If you want more information about how you can be a follower of Jesus, how you can turn from your sins and give your life to Jesus, would you email us? pray at northwoodbaptist.com. If you'll email us at pray at northwoodbaptist.com, someone will get in touch with you. And we would, we would love to talk to you about how you can begin a new life, a life with Christ, a life where you have a hope, a certain future, victory over your sin, everlasting life. That can be yours today if you'll give your life to him. So email us, pray at northwoodbaptist.com. We would love to pray with you and help you begin a relationship with Jesus. And for those of us who are here watching by our live stream or on our campus, be encouraged. There's a God that loves you who is going to see us through this. He is ministering to us right now. Rest in him. Let me pray for you, and after I pray, we're going to sing a couple more songs and end our time together, but let me pray for you. Father, thank you for opportunity to study your word together, to be reminded of your greatness and your power, and that that you are the God that encourages. And Father, for that person who's watching by live stream right now, who has never placed his faith or her faith in you, I pray that person today would choose to begin a relationship with Jesus by turning from his sins, turning from her sins, and confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior of his life or her life. And for those of us who are watching, who are on this campus, who have placed our faith in you, 
Help us. Help us be encouraged by your Spirit to know that you're ministering to us even now in these days of uncertainty. We love you, Lord, and we exalt you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you sing with us?